Well, happy Labor Day weekend, everybody. It's good to, yeah, that's right. It's good to be back after a little uh, break. Uh, Shirley and I took a vacation. We were in Chicago. I did a lot of sightseeing. I saw, went to the Willow Creek Leadership Summit at, uh, at Willow Creek Church, and that was just, it was just over the top, wonderful. Got to be with our daughter and our grandkids. Uh, she met us halfway there, a little, anyway, you get the idea. And then right after that, we got home just long enough to change clothes and uh, go to Cedar sinai where Shirley had a knee replacement. And so she has a whole new knee of a knee that she had already replaced once that didn't work well. And she's in recovery. And so for the last uh, three weeks or so, I've sort of been a cabana boy. You know, ding-ling, boy, boy, I need this, I need this. So in the middle of trying to be, you know, serve her, I wound up getting uh, sick. I don't just wore down, I think, from all the travels and all the different things, and had some uh, bronchitis. And so we're going to get right into the word, but, you know, we had our 46th wedding anniversary last week. Yeah? And uh, because of what I just described to you, I bought her a brand new pink walker. And she returned the favor by buying me a humidifier so my bronchitis, I could breathe at night. So it is sickness and health, or whatever, how that, that promise we made. Uh, we're going to study a very, uh, if you've been around church, it's a common passage, uh, Matthew 25, and yet it's so profound, it's a parable of Jesus, and if you're able, I'd like you to stand in honor of God's word, and Rick is going to read it for us, starting in verse 14. Rick, go for it. Today's word is out of Matthew 25, verses 14 through 30. Again. It will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted his wealth to them. To one, he gave five bags of gold. To another, he gave two bags. And to another, one bag, each according to his ability. Then he went on his journey. The man who received five bags of gold went at once and put his money to work and gave five more. So also, the one with two bags of gold gained two more. But the man who had received only one bag of gold went off, dug a hole in the ground, and hid his master's money. After a long time, the master of those servants returned and settled accounts with them. The man who had received five bags of gold brought the other five. Master, he said, you entrusted me with five bags of gold. See, I've gained five more. His master replied, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come, share your master's happiness. The man with two bags of gold also came. Master, he said, you entrusted me with two bags of gold. See, I have gained two more. His master replied, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. Then the man who had received one bag of gold came. Master, he said, I knew that you are a hard man, harvesting where you have not sown and gathering where you have not scattered seed. So I was afraid, and I went out and I hid your gold in the ground. See, here is what belongs to you. His master replied, You wicked, lazy servant. So you knew that I harvest where I have not sown and gather where I have not scattered seed. Well then, you should have put my money on deposit with the bankers so that when I return, 
I would have received it back with interest. So take the bag of gold from him, give it to the one who has 10 bags, for whoever has will be given more, and they will have abundance. Whoever does not have, even what they have will be taken from them. Throw that worthless servant outside into the darkness, where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. This is the word of the Lord. Amen. Great job, Rick. Thank you. And you may be seated. So, even though I've got four little points here, I really probably have one big idea, and you'll, you'll figure out when I camp out there. I'm going to kind of move quickly because this, this parable, Jesus, he, he thinks up a story to explain to us how life is really working in ways that we don't see. And here's the first point that I want to get across that I think comes right out of this passage, and that is that God is the source of every blessing. God is the source of every blessing. Now, I, I don't know if you've thought about this, but I would ask the question of you, what do you have that was not given to you. And sometimes we think, well, you know, I, you know my ambition, my hard work. And, uh, and I would say, well, who, who gave you th- that sense of ambition or who gave you the opportunities in life so that if you were ambitious, you could actually take it somewhere? See, we take so many things for granted. Our health, our opportunities, uh, what country we were born in. You know, wouldn't it have been different if you and I had been born, let's say, in Vietnam, during the Vietnam era? And uh, all you're going to get for opportunities is maybe to dodge the napalm that they're dropping on from both sides, and, and you're just trying to make it through alive. You know, working hard won't make you rich if you're born Vietnamese during that era. It's a difficult time. You and I were given opportunities, and what I want you to hear is now, every blessing that you and I have comes from God. He's the source. And this is the way Jesus sort of tells it. He says it this way, the kingdom of heaven will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and he entrusted his wealth to them. And that's what God has done for us. We don't think about this. We get the idea of, you know, God going on a journey because we don't sense him every day and we don't sense him, you know, making deliveries or down, you know, deposits in our checking account just every day. But we we sort of get the idea. We, We showed up here and opportunities came our way to either have a good job, to work. Some of us had money handed down to us by forebears, or some of us just got lucky. Uh, at the Leadership Summit, I was really blessed and humbled uh, to hear Melinda Gates, Bill Gates' wife, was interviewed by uh, Bill Hybels. And uh, when they were talking about something about his, his wealth and his success, she said, well, Bill and I recognize that... Our, our wealth is just a matter of accident of timing. Somebody was going to get rich at that, being at the right time where the tech world was taking off, and Bill looks back now and he realizes he was there. Now, other people can work as hard as he and will never make the billions of dollars. The cool thing is that they recognize it came as a gift, and they're now trying to give back in enormous sums, like nothing has ever been done before, and uh, do it uh, wisely and so forth. It's a very, very high blessing. So I just want you to know, God, who created the universe and who created you, all of the blessings that, are, that you enjoy, and by the way, it's not just money. Uh, you know, I, I'm blessed to be married to my wife. What a, what a, I mean, you, you know, that is a gift that you just can't, I know many of you thought you were going to be marrying the right one, and you wound up with a different one. You know, you woke up one day after the I do's, 
and thought, whoa, this is not what I thought. I, I didn't check close enough or something. But I'm 46 years down the road, and I, I, mean, I won the golden ticket. These blessings and, you know, your kids and your family and your health, they're all, the fact that you have joy in life. And, but money is a part of it. And I love the way this passage actually translates it now. In diff- because in the old ways, they would say he was given five talents. And we used to think, you know, I used to think, well, that means he was good-looking and he could sing or something like that. But talent literally means bags of gold. And so I like, this is a money parable that Jesus is talking about. Though money may be the least of your blessings, it's a blessing that comes from God. And he's the source of all of our resources. Number two, you are God's blessing manager. He's put you in charge. He's built this marvelous life, and then he puts it in, in, in your name, and you get to have all the say over how it, how it is spent, what you do with it, and how you live this life. Now, in this one, you know, you have the whole thing where uh, he, uh, well, I'll just start off reading. The man received five gold bags of gold. He went at once and put his money to work. And so some of us acknowledge that God is the source, and so we put God's money to work to bless or accomplish the things that God wants done in this life. Now, one of the things that we don't talk about enough is probably verse 19, which is also right here. So if you guys could just make sure you're showing the latter part of this verse. It says, After a long time, the master of those servants returned and settled accounts with them. Now, I don't know if you've thought about this much, and, and I, I must admit, the church that I grew up in, in Dos Palos, when I was in my teenage years, I, I was much more aware, their preaching made it much more aware, and I don't know that I've made it a, as aware as, as my pastor did to me when I was a teenager. But here's the truth. Someday, you and I are going to give account before God for the blessings, including our money, and how we have handled it. Now, what, if, see, so if you think that all the money you have is just mine and I made it, and you don't recognize that God is sovereign and has given you the opportunities and the health and, and so forth, then, then you may have no obligation to spend it in a way or to invest it in a way to forward the, the kingdom of God. Now, there's a couple of things that I think God really cares about that you can tell in the Bible. He cares about poor people, and he wants us to have a heart for them, and he cares about the gospel. He cares that evangelism go out into all the world, and only the church has that mission. And so he, the, and we all want that to happen. We want everybody to be Christians, but, but it does cost money. It, you know, there is a, there is, requires resource for that to happen. And so God is looking to see if we will freely participate with him in this mission. And kind of, and someday he's going to come back and sort of settle accounts to see how we did. Now, Bill Hybels, who is the church uh, that I attended uh, on, on the Sunday that we were in Chicago, <clears throat> he was the first that I'd ever heard. He didn't do it this Sunday, but I heard him back probably 15 years ago. Uh, he's a very bold man, and uh, as he says, he's very Dutch. Uh, you know, he, he pinches his money pretty hard. And he is able to run in crowds because he was raised by a pretty successful businessman. He's able to run in crowds and be very comfortable around richer people. And so he tells the story about 15 years ago, and I'd never heard a pastor talk like this, but it was unique to who God had made him to be. And he took this guy that was a, uh, a real up, uh, you know, way up the, the, the food chain in, uh, in Motorola Company, which is right outside of Chicago, and this guy would have made millions of dollars, maybe millions every year, but hundreds of thousands of dollars every year. And 
I mean, this guy was flush, very flush, and he had recently become a Christian, and he began attending Bill's church, so Bill took him out to lunch. And while he was there, this is what Bill said to him, more or less, in, in, I don't remember the exact words, but more or less is the idea. He says, you know, with all the wonderful blessings you have going on in your life, sometimes I really worry about you and your money before God. And here's a guy who's always flush, and he's going, worried about me? I, what, what, what are you talking about? And he said, well, he's given you such a pile of cash at the final reckoning, there's a lot going to be expected of you. I don't know if I'd want to be you having to deal out all that cash. Now, that's an upside-down way to talk about it, isn't it? But in fact, it was the right way to talk to that kind of man. Because to whom much is given, much is expected and required. And so this man got the idea that all of this wealth had come to him by God Almighty, and he had a major role to play in resourcing the kingdom of God. Now, the truth is, all of us, it's not about how much you give or how much you have. It's what you do with what you have. You may remember that in, in, the, uh, uh, in the Gospels, Jesus watched people giving money at, at the temple and there was this one widow that came up, and she'd made two pennies from a whole day of work, and that's all she had in all the world, and she gave both of them, while other rich Pharisees were coming up, dumping in large you know, uh, basketfuls of, of coins and so forth, and making a big fuss about how much they're giving. And Jesus, seeing the whole thing, he said, that widow has given more than all of these. Because it's not the amount, it's what you do with the amount that you're given. And this parable makes that very clear. You know, the five guy, you know, five, five bags of gold guy is expected more, two bags of gold more. And one bag of gold, it doesn't mean he's off the hook. It means he also is to do something. Now, if you can get that idea right there, then here's, here's the big idea as, as I studied this passage. And it's the third point in the message. And it's that fear is the enemy of our generosity. Fear is the enemy of our generosity. And I want you to see how I got this, just looking at this passage. And then I want to show you some other uh, uh, verses that, that sort of confirm this same idea. It says, Then the man who had received one bag of gold came, and he said, Master, I knew you were a hard man, harvesting where you've not sown and gathering where you've not scattered seed. Now, I just want you to think about this for a second. This is the problem with many people. that Jesus builds it into his story. And he says, The problem with this man is his image of who the master is. That the master is harsh and not going to help him with his finances and so doesn't have any, any obligation. I have no obligation to him because he's not going to help me. I'm not going to help him. He has a false image of God. God is a hard man or doesn't help or scatter, you know, expects payment for something he'd never done anything to, not recognizing that all of the blessings he does have have come from God himself. And then he says the key words. He says, so I was afraid. Now this right here is where generosity gets clipped. <clears throat> and I just want, I want you to understand, I get this because this is where we live. When we think about being generous with the blessings that we have, we always ask the question, will there be enough left over for me or my stuff or what I want to do and not, not realizing that God has built this economy in a way that he's promised to keep resourcing us if we're good stewards of blessing managers to those around us. But it's our fear that, that sort of cramps us up. 
And, and I want to tell you some, some well, let, 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 me, let me read a couple more verses before I give you my personal uh, experience with this. So in Proverbs 9.10, it says, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Now, why would it say that? Why is the fear of the Lord the beginning of wisdom? Because you're going to be afraid of one of two things. I mean, it could be more complex than this, but let's try to keep it simple just for grasping the concept. I am either going to be afraid I'm not going to have enough at the end of the day, or I'm going to be afraid that the Lord will not be involved in my life financially. You see, there's two competing fears. I want to have enough money in the bank account to do the things I want to do or to make sure I can pay all the bills, and sometimes I'm all in fret about that. But the Bible says that the beginning of being wise in this world is to fear being on the wrong side of the Lord who can bless you overwhelmingly overnight, take care of you through any and every circumstance, and you have to prioritize your fears. That is the beginning of wisdom. And it is true that there's all kind of fears going on. Um, when I was 60 years old, I decided it was time for me uh, to jump out of an airplane. I had been afraid of it for 59 years. And at 60, I thought, you know, you're going to have to get over this fear. And so I decided I was going to do it. My, my daughter heard about it, and she, she said, I'll, I'll do it with you. And so I flew to New York right after my 60th birthday, and we got on an airplane, went on up. And I must admit, it was more fun than a barrel of monkeys should have. The key is understanding that when I jumped out of the plane, because I was a novice, I was attached to a train jumper who'd done about 10,000 jumps and had never lost anybody. <laughs> so I put my confidence in his track record and the fact that he was attached to me. For me to die, he's got to go down, and he knows how to operate this thing. So when it came time to get out to jump, I have to admit, I had no fear. I had placed my faith so much so in the experience and in the call of God and in this guy behind me, I just jumped, and it was pure joy. This is one of the things that people miss, and one of the reasons that Christian life is boring for people is they never jump out of the airplane and obey the things that God asks them to do. And so they never get to experience that joy. Now, my daughter told me after the fact that I went out of the airplane first, and she, her thought was, oh, crap, I've got to jump too. My dad just went out. <laughs> now, it was interesting because she was all bold before that, but that sort of, you know, it stretched. So all fear, you, you have to just mo moderate or prioritize the fears that you're going to obey. Let me give you one more verse before I uh, tell you some more about my own money fears. Uh, here's Jesus in, in uh, really it's the Sermon on the Mount. He says, do not worry. In other words, do not be afraid. What will we eat? What will we drink? What will we wear? You might say, how will we afford that vacation? Can I make my, my car payment? Can I make my house payment? How will we do these things? He says, stop worrying about those things. Don't do that. For the pagans, the unbelievers, anxiously run after all these things. And you know how it is in America. That's how we all live. But he says, but your heavenly Father knows that you need them. And then he gives us a promise, a promise that's so amazing, it even attaches itself to your finances. He says, but seek first God's kingdom 
and his righteousness and all these things, all these financial things that you worry about will be given you as well. See, I don't know if you know it, but you and I have kind of the ability to invite God into our finances by actually obeying his his call for us to be generous by investing in the gospel ministry through your local church and through many other things. You know, there's other opportunities as well. And what he says, if you'll put me and my stuff first, even in your finances, then I will take care of your financial needs. Your behavior with the blessings that God has put you manager of either invites God into your financial life or says, God, I've got this uh, and I'm just going to hold on tight. You, you can just stay right over there. Now, in, in reading and preparing for this message, I ran into Andy Stanley in a book called Fields of Gold, a, cute, a, small, a short book but a wonderful book. And he gives this quote, and I think this quote, it, it, I don't think I have it in your notes, so if you'd like it, you could just email me and I'll send it to you. But here's the quote. What do you fear most, Andy asks? Not having enough or not having the involvement of your heavenly Father in the realm of your finances. That's a good way to think about it. That's really a good way to think about it. Now I want to talk to you for just a second about my own fear of money. I was raised uh, literally as a farm laborer's son. Uh, my dad did, when I was growing up, what, what you think of uh, you know, Mexican farm laborers doing today. That was us, except we were Okies instead of Mexicans. And, uh, and we spoke a foreign language, too. We talked like this. And Grandma really knew how to talk like this when visit her. Am I right, Fred? Yeah, Fred still goes back to the homeland uh, every summer. He and I, we're, it's amazing. We're neighbors, and he's an Okie. Can you figure that? But at any rate, uh, so, so money was not something I, you know, I had or knew a lot about. And uh, in, in 1991, when I, I was invited to start this church, I had my biggest pang of fear, 1991, to start this church. My fear was, I immediately thought, you know, starting a church and teaching the Bible, I, you know, Lord, I get that part. But someday, if I start this church, we're going to have to spend probably millions of dollars to, raise, to build buildings and so forth. And I have no idea how to do that. And I'm terrified today, even thinking about starting a church, that someday we'll need money for. And I remember the terror and actually at telling God, I'll do it if you're calling me to it, but you're going to have to take care of it at that time. Then in uh, about 15 years ago, it was approximately 2001 in the fall, we had paid for the land on which this property is, and we'd been in, build it, we'd been in uh, schools for about 10 years, and we had needed to raise enough money to build this facility here and the classrooms uh, to support it. And so... We were going to need something north of $3 million in one offering pledged over a three-year time uh, to come up with $3 million so that uh, the bankers would loan us the money to build the facilities. And it was, I'm just telling you, I was, uh, the pucker factor in my life was way high. And as I, as I prayed about that, uh, I realized that, that God would want me to step out in faith. Nobody should have more skin in the game than, I, than me. Uh, I'm the one who claims that you can trust the Lord. And, and so I remember praying, but praying with kind of a form of terror, like, oh my gosh. So 
as I was praying about it, and I remember this took, you know, not overnight. This is like a few weeks of praying. As I was thinking, like, Lord, what would be an honorable amount that I as the senior pastor... Now, by the way, I've never told this story except I think when in that year I told the church what God had told me and that's what I did. And I was never going to... I thought I would never tell this story again because it's too much about me, but I heard Andy Stanley in the book actually tell his similar story to the whole world. And I thought, well, maybe, maybe there's some encouragement to others. So I'm going to tell you, again, for those of you that weren't here in, in, in 2001. So as I prayed, I was trying to stretch my mind, what would honor God, and I'd really be, have to trust him for it. And here's, here's, the, here's the idea that, that formed inside me. I, and it's not like I can say that God speaks it or writes it on a wall, or not, but, but it just it birthed inside me, and then I couldn't escape it. And the idea was that I should, I should give, as the leader of the church, one year's salary over the next three years. And I remember thinking, oh, that's a good idea, God. Wow, if we could only do that. Man, that would really show you something, wouldn't it? That's, whoo. Tell you what, God, if you can show me how to do that, I'd love to be a part of that. Uh, so I'm pretty sure that Shirley was going to nix the whole idea. So I talked to her, and typical deal, she has more faith than I do in the ma- manner of finances. And so as it came down, that's exactly what we felt led of God to do. Now, I want you to know I'm a, a math major, and I went back and I figured out how do you live on, you know, two-thirds of what you made for the next three years, and, and you know, how long you're going to drive those cars, and how, how long Shirley's going to wear the same dress to church. I mean, we, all that stuff <laughs> that, that you do, and, and, I, and I figured it, you know, I think we could make it, but, you know, you, God, you've got to come through somehow in the midst of this. And I made that pledge in 2001, and I told the church, and I fulfilled that pledge in uh, by the time we were moving into the building in July of 2004. Now, here's what I want you to hear me say, and I, I, don't, even, I don't have time to explain it all. 2001 was the last time I fretted about money. Almost instantly, from different sources that I could not anticipate, money began to flow into our household. I did not have to live on two-thirds of what I was making, we lived at the same level and stockpiled a little beyond. And I remember being stunned, like, holy smoke. And it's not like it vanishes. Now, I don't want you to hear me say that, you know, give a dollar and God will send you 10000 in the mail. There's crazy stuff on TV. And, and, and I, don't, I don't believe in that kind of stuff. But I do believe you can't outgive God. And I do believe that he had all of the resources I had at that time, he was responsible for, and if he could get me to be generous with it, he, then he was free to be generous with me in a way that he's never been. I've, I've been able to give more since then than ever I would have thought, and give it freely. Now, I don't want, to, I don't want you to think we, I give it freely every time. You may remember a, a couple of years ago, Sean led the church to raise money for the, uh, the playground over here, which I was all for. And, and frankly, I was all for all of you giving to the playground. But then Sean sort of reminded us that we as staff, we should pray about what God wanted us to give. And I'll just, I'll just be honest. This fear thing that I talk about, I remember, and I was far better off than ever I'd been, and I'd sort of have, you know, a, a little stash now and a little savings, and uh, to have to pray about giving a chunk of that away 
frankly irritated me. <laughs> now, what I'm trying to tell you is the fear of finances, I don't know that it ever totally goes away, but you prioritize your fears in light of the fact that God is the source of all you have and he can outbless you any day he wants to if, if we're the kind of people who will be faithful to pass it along. So I'll just ask you one more time, as in Andy's words, what do you fear most? Not having enough or not having the involvement of your heavenly Father in the arena of your finances? Now, the last point I want to get across is that you're, you're blessed to be a blessing. And then I'm going to give you two applications after this point. This, I think, is the whole, this is kind of the key to life if we can figure this out. You are blessed by God to be a blessing. So I want you to see what happens here. He says, uh, after this guy with the one bag didn't, didn't turn out so well for him, the master says, take the bag of gold from this guy that had buried it, did nothing with it for me, and give it to the one who has ten bags. For whoever has will be given more, and they will have an abundance. But whoever does not have, even what they have will be taken from them. Now, this, at first, when you first read that, you think, well, that's not even fair. This poor guy only has one. But the point is not how little he has. The point is what he's doing with what he has. He's doing nothing with it. It's all self-consuming. And so the, the parable, he says, let's give it to somebody who actually will make it work for the kingdom of God. And you know this is how it works. God blesses those who will be a blessing. And the people that don't want to be a blessing, don't want to pass on, don't want to trust God with their finances, they remain kind of constricted. Let me show you out of one other passage, and then I'll make a couple of applications here. Remember this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows generously will also reap generously. I have people ask me from time to time, how much should I give? I don't know how much you want to be blessed. If you want to be blessed a little, then just give a little. If you, if you don't want God in your, in your finances at all, then don't give. But if you want a lot of blessing, then you give a lot, you invest a lot. And it says, each of you should give what you have decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And I don't think Sean or I have ever intentionally uh, guilted people or pressured people into giving. That's not our style. You decide what you want to give before God based on what kind of blessing you want from God. And he, but here's the key to this. Look at this next verse. And God is able to bless you abundantly. Now, why would God bless some people abundantly? So that in all things, at all times, having all you need, you will abound to every good work. That is to say, you will continue to be a blessing, so God is free to bless you abundantly. And I just want you to get in on that. I want you to get in on having God involved in your finances and not just you fretting all the time. So what are the applications out of this? I have two applications out of today's message. The first one is that every Christian would give regularly to the kingdom of God, that every Christian would give regularly to the kingdom of God. Now, I want to go back to uh, uh, this uh, smart giving thing that we started some time ago. And uh, would you show up that, the, the smart giving uh, picture, uh, if, if you guys can find it? Make sure we got it. Nope, there it is. Okay, so in October, and my phone tells me this, in October of 2014, we, we brought this out, and I thought to myself in a worship service, I said, well, I wonder if that works. So I typed in that number in my text, and then down in the box under that, I typed the number five. 
Now, what that means is I was willing to give the church $5 just to see if it worked. I didn't want the church to get rich off me. I just wanted to know if this thing worked. I'm being honest with you here, folks. So I hit send, and it pops up a little screen, and it says, congratulations, you're almost there. Follow this link, fill out this, this next little step, and you're done. So I hit, I hit the link, and this pops up. Can you show the next picture? That's what pops up. Now, that's all that pops up. That's it. It, it wants to know your name, your email, your zip code, how much you want to give. I, I made sure to put five in there, not five-o. I put my credit card number, expiration date, and the CVC code, and then there's one box below that. It says confirm. And I confirmed it, and boom, it took it. And it's like, that's amazing. So every time after that, I've never seen that screen again because you don't have to fill that screen out but one time. Now, this, this year, 2016, uh, Shirley and I, we normally, at the first of the year, we look at what our earnings are going to be across the year, and we set an amount, and we have it automatically taken out of our check and placed into the church's account uh, every month before we even see it, uh, based on you know, the, the percentage that we're giving at that time, which is some, somewhere north of 10%. But this year, because of an investment that she and I made, we, we began a stream of income of about $1,000 a month after I set up my automatic giving through the church. And I thought, well, you know, I think I'll just use this, this kindred stuff, this, this smart giving, to make up for that extra money. It'd just be kind of a fun thing to do. So I did, and here's what, can you show the next picture? Here's the last time I used it. I just want you to see what it looks like, because you'll get one of these immediately. Up at the top, it says CHC Smart Giving. Now, the only reason it says that is I saved it in my contacts under that name, but it's the phone number that I just showed you. I don't know if you can read it, but halfway down... It says Saturday, August 20th at 7.06 p.m. Now, you know what was happening on Saturday two weeks ago at 7.06 p.m.? Clovis Hills in the Saturday night service was taking an offering. So I whipped out my phone. And I put in $100 because I'm I'm making $1,000 a month on this new uh, income stream. So I put in $100 a month. And you get this screen that comes back to you in less than a second. And it says, thank you. We're emailing the receipt. Save the phone number for future giving. You just gave $100 to Clovis Hills Community Church. Now, just in case that was the wrong amount, you can text refund and they'll give it back to you. Or if you need to change something else, hit edit. We'll change some of your information. And I get one of those instantly. So I just thought, because I know some of people, that they hear a message and they think, well, you know, that's a nice message for somebody else. But, you know, I didn't bring my checkbook today. And I don't have anything, you know, smaller than a five in my wallet. So I don't know what I'm going to do about giving today. I thought I would just demonstrate for you how easy it is to give 100 bucks. Yeah. So I brought my phone. Uh, and I don't, I don't know how this is going to work, but we're going to, we're going to go for it. So my screen right now looks like what you just saw. And I, so at, at the top, it says smart giving because I, I just put in CH and then it automatically fills in the rest. And down at the bottom, I'm going to put in 100 I don't want to put too many zeros, so be careful. I've got to count these. <laughs> now, I'm going to put send. Let's see. Hmm. I don't know if you could hear it. Did you hear that? It's very, it's very light, but my phone just told me, thank you for your gift. You just gave 100 bucks. 
My phone just buzzed again telling me I just sent the email. I just got an email from Clovis Hills saying I got $100. Now, how long did that take? So I know some of you don't bring your checkbook or your wallet, but you brought your phone today. <laughs> uh, by the way, I, I don't you think I'm cheap. There's the Saturday night service, there's the 9 o'clock service, and there's the 1040 service. This illustration is costing me 300 bucks. <laughs> I want some sympathy here. But I just, when I say one of the applications, all of you can regularly give to the kingdom of God. And it took, it might take three minutes the first time you set it up, but after that, it takes less than probably 30 seconds to give whatever amount that you believe God, you could trust God for, and then you're inviting God into your finance. I think every Christian should be obeying this and beginning to see that God cannot be outgiven. That as we give to him, he will take care of us, and all the promises of the Bible lean in that direction. One last application. The second application I'd like to make and challenge us with is that every Christian would make financial disciples. See, we think, and I've always thought of this, and this is like a breakthrough thought for me as I thought about this. I've always thought that the church, meaning the organization or something, or the pastor maybe, would teach the people to be financial disciples, that is to say, to give generously. But what I realized as I thought about this is the pastors aren't asked to do this at all. The church is commanded to do this. Now, I want you to go back out. I want you to look with me at Matthew 28, the Great Commission. And here's what it says. Jesus said, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. In other words, I cannot give you any day of the week, and I'm the Lord of the universe, and I will someday determine whether you go into heaven or hell. All authority is given to me. I want you, therefore, the church, to go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. Now, when it says teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you, what does that include? Generosity. You know who's really responsible for raising up financial disciples? Every one of you. Every one of you should from time to time be teaching your children and maybe taking some people who are in your small group, maybe out for coffee and say, could I ask you a question? Would you mind if we talked about how you are giving to support the things of God? Because I found it a blessing in my life. And then, it, and then the last part of this verse says, and surely I'm with you always. Now, what does that mean? That when you're vested in the things of the kingdom of God, God is invested in your life, and he'll never leave you or forsake you. Uh, a year and a half ago, Sean asked me to sort of re restart the stewardship training in our church, and, and I began teaching a class called Managing My Money God's Way. And uh, we've had as many as probably 40 in there, and often it's average maybe 20 or 25 would be in a class. But here's what I noticed over that year and a half. By the end of the, you know, a lot of energy the first day, and then uh, by the time we got to the, the sixth or seventh week, uh, we'd be down to maybe six people out of 25. And I thought, you know, something's not getting across here. I don't know what, what the point of it is. How, how, we're failing. It's not just information. You have to actually obey the things you're learning. And what I realized is that the people are really overwhelmed in understanding and their fears are so high about money that they can't hang long enough and they need more personalized help. So we're going to redesign Managing Money God's Way into probably eventually maybe five modules that are four weeks long. 
Right now, I'll tell you about, the, about three of them. The next time I offer it, it's going to be a four-week course. And in that four-week course, we're going to teach you the basics of, of biblical financial management. And we'll help you memorize a few verses and anchor the fact that the Lord is, you know, God is the Lord of my life, and he's, I want him to be the Lord of my money. And then we're going to assign a, a mentor, somebody who's been successful in stewarding their money, to help you determine one thing in four weeks. Do I have more money going out last year or more money coming in last year? In other words, we're just going to help you track down the facts. How much have I brought in and how much have I spent? And then based on that, you'll know whether you want to take the second, the second module. Because if you have more going out than you have coming in, you need to take the you know, handling debt module. And if you have more coming in then you have going out, then you need to know how to save and how to invest in God's kingdom. You need to take that module. At any rate, here's what I want to challenge us to do. I want to raise up an army of mentors who can individually help new Christians to get a handle on their finances, to begin living, honoring God, and knowing how to live within their means. So here's what I think. In a crowd this size, I probably have a third of you that could be mentors right now, but you've never thought you needed to help anybody else. Learn the things that you know about finances. I want to invite you to be on my team to help train them. Some of you just aren't ready. I had one young couple come up to me last night and said, uh, you know, if, 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 if I'm still, you know, I, I, I declared uh, bankruptcy, you know, about 12 months ago, so probably I'm not a candidate to mentor anybody yet. I thought, that's a good idea. But, but then he pulled out his phone and he says, you know what, I looked at this giving thing and I've been giving just like you've been talking, even without, you know, I didn't know it. And he said, uh, it keeps a record of all my giving. He said, I just told it up. I've given uh, over $4,000 in uh, a little over a year by just consistently using this thing on the Sundays that I'm paid. And I thought, that's pretty impressive. And I said, so you're right, you don't get to be a mentor yet. But you keep doing what you're doing, and people... Then there's others of us that we're just... Uh, we just don't know. We don't know what we don't know, and we don't know how to get God involved. I want to encourage you to think about taking the class. Now, th- what's going to change on this, and I have a little uh, last uh, throw up on the board, and I want to invite the band to come out, because they're going to lead us in worship in just a second. I would... Uh, what, what I was going to ask is that you either write money mentor on your communication card, or money class based on where you are, because I need all of us. Now, even if you're not able to be a money mentor, and not everybody ought to be, I want you to be inviting other people that you know that are new Christians to come to the money class, and maybe you come with them for four weeks to help them get started. All of us need to be in this together. This is not just on Sean or the organization of the church. The church is the people of God, and every one of us are called to make disciples, including in the financial realm. Now, having said that, I really don't want you to write Money Mentor. Now, you can if you think you're up for it, but what I would like you to do next Sunday at 1040 in the the space right over here, I would like to do a little training. And if you'd be willing to be a mentor, I would like you to join me to be trained as a Money Mentor so I, the next time I offer the class, I'd like to have 20 or more mentors that could walk with people. Now, some of you are really good at this. 
and you'd be very, but I, you need a little training, and I want to be sure that I, I, I can trust you with their, their souls and with their information. Now, as we wrap this up, I want you to feel with me. We're, I'm, I didn't give this message because we're at a difficult financial time. In fact, if I may say this, God is blessing Clovis Hills financially more so than it has probably in the last seven, eight years. It's amazing. And uh, as of last month, we're $133,000 over budget because of the generosity of this church. Fantastic. And I want you to know, I believe it's largely because of the leadership of our pastor, Pastor Sean Beatty. He is a generous man. He's a godly man, and he's leading. He's, he, he blesses other churches, and other uh, church starts all the time. And uh, very aggressive in, in sharing the blessings of God, and God is honoring his leadership. So I, I just want you to know, this is not about that. But wouldn't it be great if in a year or two, we didn't, not, not only did we not worry about the church finances, but every member of this church would be flourishing because they knew God was the author of all of their financial blessings. And they were managing it in a way that honored God. And they were prioritizing their fears so they honored God and uh, were uh, more concerned about losing God's blessing than they were about not having enough. And they were a blessing to the people around them so that there's peace in every home and strength in every home. Now that's a vision worth living for. Would you close uh, with me in prayer? And then we're going to let the worship team lead us. Father, I thank you for giving us the opportunity to, uh, to hear your word and to get real about something that we all probably fret about. And Father, I want to ask that we will take the challenge of giving freely and generously and growing in our ability to do that, growing as a, as a percentage of our overall earnings so that Someday when you come and make accounts with us, we can hear that well done, good and faithful servant. And Lord, I just want to pray now that as we worship you, the Lord of the whole universe, that we'll remember that when we obey you, we're never safer in our whole life. What makes us safe is who we are attached to when we're falling from the high places to the dangerous places. And Lord, may we be attached to you. This is my prayer in Christ's name. Amen. You know, we're about to sing. Uh...